We believe life is better when you live all in following Jesus. So what does this look like? To start, we believe it is important to connect with God's Word on a regular basis. By reading and reflecting, we are able to grow in a deeper relationship with Him. We want everyone to commit to attending weekly gatherings. That means both weekend services for kids and adults, as well as a midweek gathering for middle school and high school students. We know that community best happens through relationships in small groups and serving teams. This way we can grow in community together. As a church, we are called to restore hope to those who are hurting. This happens by serving locally and by partnering with missions around the world. Finally, by engaging in relationships with people, we are able to point others towards a God who loves them. Together, we can be all in. Well, good morning. It is good to see you. Good to have you here in Bellingham. Those of you in Skagit and Boca Raton and those watching online streaming right now, it's good to have you with us. It's uh, good for me to be back here. It's uh, about three weeks ago was the last time I stood on this platform on Christmas Eve. And since then, I just want to say, uh, wow, we are so blessed because Pastor Scott here on Christmas or New Year's Eve and Pastor Brian on New Year's Day in the South and then last weekend Pastor Kip brought the message. And aren't we blessed to have such incredible teachers and communicators in our, in our midst? I mean, what a, what a great gift we have. So amazing. So thank you. Um, I also, before I get into this today, want to say a very huge thank you to many of you, hundreds of you, literally hundreds of you, who volunteered time, uh, services, some of you all day for our Christmas Eve services. Like I said, it, it takes hundreds of people to pull that off. We had five services, four here and one in Skagit. And because of your willingness to, to give of your time and to host and to help out, we were able to welcome into our, uh, into our, our auditoriums uh, about 4,700 people. And we're excited not just because the number is big. We're excited because every single one of those people heard the good news of great joy that Jesus is a Savior that's born for them and that God says, I want you at my table sitting next to me. And we're just praying that that, that word, that truth, those seeds fell on fertile soil. In addition to that, over the course of those, those services, 59 people picked up new believers packets who are praying for them as they start their journey and just believe that God is going to change not only their eternity, but their life here, uh, here and now. In addition to all of that, we had our gift of grub, and you know we threw out the challenge that I wanted 100% participation, every single one of you to lose five pounds of, of, of non-perishable food items, and then we threw out the bonus Pastor Jeff challenge that your family bring 50 pounds, and you all responded in such a huge and generous way. We exceeded anything we've ever done with the gift of grub ever in any years. I haven't even told you how much yet. Hold on. You know, they're a little eager there. 19,803 pounds of food was donated by you. Yeah, yeah, so incredible. And on top of that, some of you made cash donations designated for that so that the food banks, the, the, they could buy perishable things like milk and eggs and cheese and, and butter to give away as well. So just a huge thank you to you. What a, an incredible way for me personally to end 2016 uh, here at Cornwall Church. And I just want to say what an incredible privilege it is to be able to be a part of this church and I want to tell you that I I count it as one of the greatest gifts and one of the greatest honors of my life to be able to be not only a part of this church which I was a part of this church before I was a senior pastor but that I get to be the senior pastor of this church I just thank God for that uh, another extension of his grace to me every single day so anyway with all of that 
uh, Chris Waltner, who does all our video work, put together kind of an overview of 2016. And it's sometimes good to look back and see where we've come from and see what God has done and, and, and instead of just kind of you know, blazing forward. So for just a couple of minutes, I want to reflect on 2016. Some of these were things you were involved with. Maybe some of them you were not. But just kind of give us a picture of this last year. You know, it's always good to look back and to just thank God for his faithfulness and his goodness and what he's doing in and through us. 
and it's, it's just an amazing thing. And now as we go into 2017, and I know, I know we're halfway through January, but it's still in the new year, right? In fact, statistics would show that at this point in the new year, many of you are still actually trying to keep your new, new Year's resolutions. I mean, you're still giving it some effort. You're still holding on to the hope that this year will be different. That'll all change in a couple of weeks, but for now, it's still a new year. Literally, statistics show that the first two weeks of February is where people just completely bail on their New Year's resolutions. Here are statistics that I read this week. The difference between the first two weeks of February and the first two weeks of January. In the first two weeks of February, sales of liquor and wine increased 40% over the first two weeks of January. Sales of ice cream and desserts are up 15% over the first two weeks of January. And sales of pizza are up 35% over the first two weeks of January. And apparently February 4th is an important day. Because those who keep statistics on needless, worthless information say that on February 4, there's an uptick on people who check in at fast food restaurants and a downtick on people who check in at the gym. So there you have it. You've got until February 4th to hang in there and then you can do whatever you want, I suppose. I'm not here to monitor your fast food intake or your gym uh, membership. But what I want us to talk about today as we go into 2017 is something on the spiritual level. And my guess is the very fact that you're here today is because you realize that there's maybe something in the world of your life that is beyond just the, you know, the work and school and, and all that. But there's a spiritual reality and that you're concerned and actually it's an important thing to you. So I want us to talk about, about that and about looking forward in this year in 2017 with that. So um, today we're calling this today, uh, we're calling it five chairs, and as you see there are five chairs up here, and maybe for you you're thinking, oh this, this is going to be stupid, because when you see chairs like this, you think of stupid childhood games that you played, musical chairs, and you're like, don't play musical chairs, or duck, duck, goose, or fruit basket upset, we're not going to play any of those games. Each of these five chairs represent a different aspect of our spiritual journey, and I want us to look at those uh, today in, in all that. You might say, okay, well, it appears there's five chairs, it appears there's five blanks, it's a five-point sermon. Yeah, maybe, I guess that could be the case. The reality is this. There's one word. This is like a, I should say a one-word sermon, but there's going to be a lot of words. But it's one word. And my prayer and my goal for us today in this time is one word, that we would get this one word, that we would understand it. My prayer and our goal for us this year is that this one word would be what we would hold on to. My prayer and goal for us together as a church is this one word, and each one of us as individual followers after Christ is this one word. This one word for each of us and for all of us. And this is my prayer and my goal for you. Engagement. And some of you are saying, yeah, I know I've been praying for that for years. That's not what I'm talking about. You might find the love of your life this year fantastic for you. What I'm talking about is engagement, this verb of, of involvement, of participation in. To engage in these things that allow us to grow and to, to give importance to spiritual matters in our lives. You know, there's a question that I get asked frequently, usually by people who I haven't seen for a while, people who don't go to Cornwall, and I'm not even sure if they want to know the answer, but I get asked this question a lot when I run into people. They'll say, hey, how's it going at the church? How's Cornwall doing? How are things at the church? Which is always a curious question. How do you answer that question? What metrics do I use to answer how it's going at the church? Is it the intangibles? You know, the morale is up. There's a good spirit. You know, things are great. Is it some of the, the empirical data that talks about numbers? Is it a numerical thing? And what, what numbers do you want to know about? Numbers of attendance? You know, numbers of services? Numbers of campuses? Numbers on our budget? 
Or, or is it in relationship? How are we doing in comparison to, say, Christ the King or to national averages or other churches our size or to where we were last year? How do you even answer that question? How's it going with the church? If you've been around Cornwall at any length of time, you know that something is very important to us is this. Altering spiritual landscapes one life at a time through Jesus. And I think if someone were to ask me, how's it going with church? That would be the filter that I would want to use of how is it going? You know, are lives being transformed? Is the community being redeemed? Is the world being restored? Is there life transformation? Is there spiritual landscapes that are altering? Are things different as the kingdom of God coming to bear on this earth? Those are the kind of things that I think best answer that question. And those kind of things come not with just believing or agreeing or knowing a philosophy. Those kind of things come about with engagement, with being involved, with participating in. The Apostle Paul was writing letter, a letter to a church, and he had heard how things were going in that church. Uh, the church, uh, the, the letter, we refer to it as the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament. But he writes, and he's heard that this church, this group of followers after Christ, are actually growing in their love. They're growing in hope. They're growing in faith. And that there's fruit that's being born in their life. That the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ has taken root in their hearts, and they're living in the grace of God. And because of all this, because things are going really well for them, he writes this letter and he says, uh, because of these things, with these things in mind, Colossians 1.9, he says, for this reason, these, that things are going great, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He says, listen, we hear it's going great. That doesn't mean we're going to stop praying for you. Actually, we're going to double down on the prayers. We're going to ask that God fills you with more wisdom, with more spiritual knowledge, and that you'll understand God's will, that you'll continue to grow. Now, why would he pray that for them? Just so they have good theology? That's important. Just so they would know the right answers? That's a good thing. Just so that they would have more wisdom? That's all good. But that's not why he's praying it alone. And he reveals the reason why. In verse 10 he says, and we pray this, and here's the reason, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That your lives would be transformed, that there would be transformation in your life, that there would be a redemption of your community, that the world would be restored, that God would be pleased with the way you live. And that's what we desire. And that happens when we're engaged not when we just believe right or agree, but when we're engaged. Last spring, we did a spiritual growth campaign for seven weeks uh, called All In. And for those seven weeks, if you weren't here, you can watch all those sermons online. We did them in the weekend service. We did in our small groups and our daily reflection time. In that All In campaign, we talked about these five uh, disciplines of growth, uh, discipleship goals, as it were. And... I thought it would be good for us to revisit those five today. Because when we went through that last spring, our goal and our, our hope was that we wouldn't just do that and then put it on the shelf and move on, but that these would mark our lives because we believe that this will allow us to alter the spiritual landscape of our lives and our world around. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist, if you're even the slightest bit astute, to know that there are these five chairs, there are five blanks, and inside your link, there's a, an insert. You can fill in all of those blanks right now. Some of you already have because I've already given you all the answers, and you're already done because you're so much smarter than me. 
would you stick around and just humor me for a few more minutes? I want us to talk about those five things that we talked about last spring. Revisit those. And I want us to have each of these chairs represent those. But here's what I long for you to do while we're going through this, and we'll do it again at the end, is that as we're talking about this, that you would think to yourself, how's my engagement level in each of these? How's it been since we studied these extensively last spring? How is it as I'm going into 2017? What is my level of engagement in each of these chairs? So let's talk about them. First chair is this one. First chair is a chair that represents a commit to the word. Commit to this word. And this chair, it could be in your living room. It could be in your den. It could be in your office or your study. It could be in your car. This chair could be a park bench. This chair could be at a coffee shop. This chair is where you go to engage the word of God. Personally. To read it. To think about it. To meditate on it. To study it. Maybe to memorize it, to find out how does it apply to my life, those kind of things. This is the chair you go to on your own to have God's word input in your life. And what's interesting is the number one greatest catalyst for spiritual development in your life is the word of God. And I think the most underutilized gift that we have is the word of God. That we have this and we don't read it, we don't study it, we don't apply it to our lives. Now, I know some of you right now are pushing back and saying, well, that's why I go to church, preacher. That's what we pay you for. You, you tell us the word of God, and we're glad that you're here, and I'm glad you pay me, actually. But there's something more to that. If you say, well, I, just, I get my input of the word of God at the church. Listen, that was a really good answer for this one years ago, but that was before the invention of the printing press. That's when people didn't own Bibles, and... As a society, culturally, most of them were illiterate. Here's the reality. We now own Bibles, and we're working towards literacy for all of you. And even if you can't read, you can get a Bible app for free that will read to you. So this whole thing, well, I, that's why I go to church. I'm glad you go to church, and we'll get to that in a minute. But this is what we have every single day. We have the access to God's Word. Here's what I want to caution you about. This chair has a downside as well. This chair can be a chair of legalism if you're not careful. I've sat in this chair legalistically many, many times. I'm just doing this. I'm checking it off a list. I'm just getting, And that legalism usually leads to spiritual pride. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about engaging with the living, active word of God that's sharper than a double-edged sword. The primary way that God communicates to us is through his word. That we are transformed by the renewing of our minds to fill our minds with these words. See, when we engage with God's word on our own, on a regular basis, it changes things. There's a man who uh, wrote me a note uh, three weeks ago. Wrote me a note. His name is Travis. And this is a part of his note that he wrote. He said, the more attention I give to living my life according to the teachings of Jesus Christ, the more his freedom and peace and joy saturate my life. He says, it's not about legalism. My life is different. My life is changed when I have God's word in my life. I love this out of Acts 17. I've read this many, many times when Paul writes these words. And he says, now the Bereans... We're of more noble character than the Thessalonians, which, like, Thessalonians going, ah, but it's true. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. 
that they just couldn't get enough of it. They said, well, yeah, we hear what you're saying, Paul. We want to read the Bible for ourselves. We want to learn for ourselves. We're hungry for the Word of God. We want to know the truth. And that's what I long for, for, for each of us, that we would be hungering and engaging with the Word of God, not just on a legalistic basis to check it off our spiritual checklist, but to hear what God's Word has to say for us, what He would have for us this day, this season, this year. See, there's a lot of input that comes to us. A lot of information we get. We get it from the media. We get it from our culture. We get it from our friends. Honestly, we get it from our own minds. And this input that we have, this information that we get, it influences our life. It influences the priorities of our life, how we live, the things we say, our relationships. It influences all of us. And some of this input that we get that influences us is not godly counsel. Sometimes even from our own heads. It's not according to the way of God or the will of God. And so we need to have an input of some truth that we can build our lives on. I love, I love how the psalmist starts the whole book of Psalms when he says, blessed, how lucky, how fortunate, how great it is. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. And then he talks about a chair or sits in the seat of mockers. Mockers are those who say, I don't really care what God's word says. I don't believe that God's will has anything to do with it. It's irrelevant. It's, it's outdated. It doesn't apply to me. And he says, you sit in that chair, that's a disaster. He gives a contrast. He says, I'd rather have you sit in a different chair. This chair. He goes on, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That there's this engagement with God's word. That he's transformed because he has God's word as, as the, the plumb line, the standard for his life that he builds, the foundation that he builds upon. How are you doing with this? To have God's word regularly on your own put into your life. A very, very familiar verse out of the Psalms where he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. See, when we sit in this chair, the more we sit in this chair, the more we walk in the light. So what's your engagement level? Listen, I don't want, for our time together today, I don't want in any way to bring guilt on you. I just want to bring awareness to us. How are you doing here? The engagement level. Committed to the word. All right, second chair. Second chair, it's committed to the gathering. It's... It's what we're doing right now, this gathering of God's people, where you come together and, and you sing, where you come together and you hear some guy talk, where you come together, you, you see people, give them elbows, whatever it is, maybe serve, maybe give, whatever. It's this kind of gathering. And I want to just talk about this because there's some different approaches to these kind of gatherings. And I'm not trying to call anyone out, it's just my observation. You can sit in this chair what you're doing right now. You can sit in this chair, and your whole approach to this is out of obligation, right? And here's the words that you use when you think about this chair. I ought to go to church. I should go to church. I have to go to church. I'm going to church again. And it's obligation. Listen. Some of you are sitting in the chair of obligation right now. I'm glad you're here. 
I know you're not, but I am glad that you're here. Listen, I get this. I understand. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I understand. I've gone to church out of obligation. I have to preach. I have to be here. I get it. But when you come and sit in the church chair out of obligation, that's not real engagement. You're there, but you're not engaged. Here's another one. You might be sitting in this chair. Another approach is not the obligation. And this one's really, really prevalent in American Christianity these days, and especially in the Northwest. It's the chair of, of option. That this is an option. And if the chair is an option, here's the words you use. I can go to church. I could go to church. I might go to church. But it's an option because I might not. And I might do something else. It's one of my options. So, on a day like today, when there's a football game you don't really care about because we're out of the run for the uh, Super Bowl anyway, it's too cold to mow anything, you don't have a lot of options, so here you sit. It's good to have you. It's one of your options. And we see this, you know, we joke all the time. In the spring and in the fall, when there's a nice sunny day, we always joke, this is bad preaching weather. Because church is just an option. What if, what if we sat in this chair, not out of obligation, and not as just an option amongst many, but with this attitude of, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity for me to join with the followers of Christ who have been doing this for 2,000 years. To get together with brothers and sisters who've been redeemed by the grace of God, to lift up the name of Jesus with the angels who've been doing this for eons, and to celebrate what God is doing, to hear from God's word, and whether I like the sermon or the preacher or not, if he speaks the words of God, if he preaches the Bible, there's going to be something I can get out of that. And maybe, just maybe, God would have me encourage someone somehow, maybe in passing in the parking lot or in the commons or checking in kids or something, just to give a word of encouragement, to lift someone's spirit, to be able to give and be a part of what God is doing through this church, to serve and to help others experience this, and to invite friends. What if we came with that kind of an attitude? The sense of this is a great opportunity. The words we use now are, I get to go to church. I can't wait to go to church. I'm going to church again. Now that's a different attitude than the obligation and the option. And there's a story in the New Testament of two ladies who were at the same church service. I call it a church service, a church gathering, because there was a bunch of people there and Jesus was there. That sounds like a church gathering to me. And it's interesting because both of these ladies were at the same church gathering with Jesus and their experiences were completely opposite because of the mentality they went into the gathering with. They're sisters. They were raised in the same home, same environment, same parents. They're at the same church service. One's name is Martha, and the other one's name is Mary. You've heard this story. Let me repeat it for you. Mary comes. She had a sister. This is Luke 10. She had a sister called Mary. Martha, this is. Has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Mary sits there with expectation. I'm going to receive something. I'm going to hear from Jesus. I'm going to be in his presence with other people. She's got this opportunity to, to gather there. But Martha was distracted. Let's just stop there. Have you ever come to the gathering distracted? <laughs> ever. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
She came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You see Martha's approach to church? She's distracted, she's angry, and she's trying to leverage the supernatural power of Jesus to get her sister to do what she wants her to do. That's why she's coming to church. I love Jesus' response. Martha, Martha. Heavy sigh. I'm, that's my part. I put that in there. Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. Martha, breathe, relax, Martha. Look at his next line. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Here are these two ladies, both come to the same church service. One's so distracted, angry, trying to use God for her purposes. And one comes saying, I just want to hear, I want to learn, I want to grow. There's this expectation, this is an opportunity. What if we came with that kind of a mentality? God, what are you going to do today? We get to lift up the name of Jesus. We get to hear from your word. I get to encourage people and be encouraged. I get to serve and give and invite. Changes everything. There's a guy named Kerry uh, Newolf. He's a pastor in Canada. He has a leadership blog and a, and a, uh, a podcast that he does. And he, he stated this in such a, an obvious and simple but profound way. He said this. He said, all too often, a step away from church is a step away from Christ. Very rarely do I see a, an irregular church attendee growing more deeply in their faith and effectiveness. Now you say, oh, hey, I, I can be a Christian without going to church. Granted. But he says, think about this. Very often a step away from the church is really a step away from your walk with Christ. And it can happen, but it's very rare that someone who says, I don't really need to gather with the body of believers. I don't need to come together for corporate worship. I don't need to hear anyone else with the word of God. Very rarely do you see those people thriving in their spiritual journey. Very rarely do you see them growing deeper and more mature and bearing more fruit in their spiritual journey. He says there's just kind of this direct correlation, it appears. That those who are most fruitful and are, are growing and thriving are involved with in this. How's your engagement in this? Hey, let me just, one more, and this is not meant... For guilt, honestly. But parents, parents, listen to me. Your children are learning from you whether church attendance should be a priority or not. They will learn healthy habits in their life according to how you live. They will pick up on your attitude. And on top of that, our children's ministry and our student ministry, they want to partner with you to help you accomplish what God has given you this entrustment of these children. It is your responsibility to be the spiritual leader in your children's family. We have willing, loving, dedicated adults that are wanting to partner with you every single week. Why would you pass that up? To have another voice speak into your kids and to build that foundation. And I'm not trying to guilt anyone. I, I don't, I, it's not about you know, I got to go. I don't want the obligation thing. I want you to see the value and the importance and the opportunity. How are you doing in this chair? Commit to the gathering. All right? The third chair. The third chair is growing in community. And growing in community, and it's kind of ironic that with the explosion of social media, you can have more friends on Facebook, more followers on Twitter, and more 
faces on Instagram and feel more isolated and alone and disconnected than ever before. Now, I'm not down on social media. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that doesn't guarantee real community. In this chair, you may notice that I have a cake. And the reason I have a cake here is because we believe that the primary way and the best one of the best ways to get in a community is in a small group. And if you're in a small group that doesn't serve cake, you're in the wrong small group. I mean, it's biblical. You read in Acts when it says they met together in the temple and from home to home and they ate together. This is a very biblical thing. But not only is there a cake, I also have a file. Now, you may think this is my new prison ministry. That's not what it is. I have the file because Scripture says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Yes, while it's all great to have cake, biblical community is not just dessert social. It's not just social hour. There's an enormous, enormous difference between a cocktail party and true biblical community. And this chair, we're growing in community. This chair may be in a living room. Again, this chair may be in a coffee shop. This chair may be in a lunchroom at work. It may be in a dorm room. This chair is when you get together with other brothers and sisters. And you encourage one another. And you sharpen one another. Where you rejoice with those who rejoice and the celebration of the good things in life are multiplied. And you bear up with the failings of the weak and you cry with those who cry and so that the burdens of life are shared and that there's people to come alongside and to pray with you and to encourage you. And you spur one another on towards love and good deeds. People that you can trust, people that who know you, people who can call you out when necessary in love. People you can study the word of God together with. People you can serve with. People you can do life with. To have that kind of community in our lives. And again, it's not just showing up. How willing are you to participate? To share your insights? To to bring up your questions? To pray for and to be prayed for? How willing are you to be transparent and authentic? And let people really know you and know others? growing in this community you know in first thessalonians it talks about about this whole uh, thing of community it says therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing like i said we think one of the primary and best ways is in small groups and you say well i'm not a part of a small group well if you're not a part of a small group and you'd like to at least explore it on January 26th, we're having a small group connection come. Or if you want to host a small group, come talk to Pastor Bill on this one. Come and, and we'll get you connected with a small group and you can see if it works out for you. But how are you doing in this area of community? Your engagement in that. At the fourth chair, you may have picked up on the fact that the fourth chair is a little different. Fourth chair is broken. I'm not going to sit in that one. The legs are all bent under. I'll probably collapse it. Fourth chair is broken. This would be an uncomfortable chair to sit in. And the interesting thing, there's, there's extra symbolism with this fourth chair. Because the fourth chair, while we want you to sit in each of these chairs, the fourth chair has to do with, we want you to get out of a chair. See, the symbolism of the brokenness and the uncomfortable nature of this chair is this. That we live in a broken world. Broken homes and broken marriages and broken people and broken society and broken systems. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to be involved with a broken world. 
But we're called to come out of our comfort zone, to get out of our chair. And this is to restore hope to the hurting. That's what this chair is about. Our church has a whole, whole part of our philosophy is the go and be. It's not go and agree. She's like, yeah, someone ought to do something. It's go and be. You know, put the gloves on, roll the sleeves up, get into there where it's uncomfortable, where it's messy, and make a difference. I mean, think about this. The things that we do as a church, even recently, the gift of grub, the community toy store, that's a part of this fourth chair of making a difference. But what about going beyond that? What if it's not just the events that the church does? What if it's what I do? And when we talk about this, the whole month of December, we talked about Micah 6.8. He has showed you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? You remember that first one? To act justly. You know, to do justice. To make a difference in this world. This weekend, we celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr., his whole life is best known for his fight against injustice and oppression and inequality in our, our country. Our world is not the same. We're not perfect. We've got a long way to go. But because he was willing to get out of a chair and be uncomfortable and make a difference in this world, we live in a different world. What if we all did that? What if in the different ways we would find that God would use us to bring about restoration? Those are hurting. You know, we partner with some incredible organizations here in town. And I love some of the, these guys I've gotten to know. Ray Deck, what an amazing guy with, with Skookum Kids and, and what they're working on with the foster system. It's amazing. And many of you volunteer with that or heard about that helping out. It's a fantastic way to get out of that chair. Tyler with Rebound. Rebound came right out of Cornwall Church and reaching out to, to families and to, to students that are on the fringe here in our community. What an incredible ministry. Aaron and Leah Newcomb with, with Engedi Refuge who are taking women who have been trafficked in, in the sex trade and restoring their lives and getting them back on their feet and living a healthy, whole, wonderful life. Amazing ministries and opportunities here. And more beyond that. Not just something that someone should do something about, but we're called to do something about. In Isaiah 58, great chapter. I won't read the whole chapter, just a, a few verses out of it. It says... Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I, if, it's almost like this is conditional. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday, I wonder, I just wonder if Jesus was thinking about this passage out of Isaiah 58, if we'll go to bat for the oppressed, for those without a voice, if we will help those who are weak and are, are marginalized, if we'll feed those that are hungry, I wonder if that's what he had in mind. As Isaiah says that your light will shine in the darkness, I wonder if that's what he had in mind when he turned to his followers and said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Listen, this isn't just something that the church does. This is something that you and I are called to. 
You say, well, I don't feel led. Yes, you do. You feel led in the seat of your pants. Get out of the chair and go do something. Be engaged in making a difference in this world. How's your engagement level? Fifth chair here. I have two cups here. I don't like coffee. It's got to have enough chocolate and syrup in it. It tastes like a donut before I'll drink it. But I've got these two coffee cups because most of you like coffee, and that's fine. But these two cups represent like a relationship with two people sitting down to have a cup of coffee. And that's this fifth chair, is to engage in relationships, to engage in relationships with people who don't yet know about the grace and the life that Jesus Christ offers, the love of their Father and their Creator, the chance to not only have their eternity taken care of, but the Holy Spirit to empower them throughout this life. They, they don't know. And to have a relationship with them. Let me ask this question. How many of you have at least one person in your life that you're concerned about their spiritual well-being? Just a show of hands. Now, that person that you have in your mind right now, when you just raised your hand, if someone were to say, hey, Jesus, do you have someone in, in mind that you're worried about their spiritual well-being? That's who he had in his mind as well. He says, that's why I have put them in your life. That's why I have put you in their life. That you could have a relationship with them. That you could share with them. You could, you could talk with them. You could pray for them. You could engage in conversations. To engage in these relationships... Who's our example in this one? This is a Sunday school answer. You can't get this wrong. Who's our example in this one? Yeah, Jesus. Jesus is our example here. Look at this in Matthew chapter 9. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. This is before Matthew is a disciple. This is before he writes a book in the Bible. This is before he's following Jesus. He's still a corrupt tax collector. He's having dinner. Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners, I think this is so funny because sinners are always put in quotation marks. But it's like they're saying, we don't want the tax collectors with us. Like, give them their own category. I mean, I mean, we're sinners, yeah, but not like them. Okay, so anyway, you've got these two groups, the tax collectors and the sinners. They came and ate with him and his disciples. They're engaged in a relationship with people that are far from God. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus set the example that we would engage in relationships with people. Listen, 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 listen. Not as a project, but as a friend. A friend, a relationship, someone that you care about, you can talk with, someone that you're praying for. Taking that spiritual conversation a little deeper. Asking them what their barriers are, why their resistance, what's their story. Share some of yours when it's appropriate and when it's right. Invite them. I mean, you know, just to have this relationship. That maybe the truth of the gospel can come through your life to them. How are you doing with that? See, these five, we believe these five will alter the spiritual landscapes of our lives, of our church, of our world. But it's not about acknowledgement of these five, and it's not about agreement. You may say, yeah, that, that all makes sense to me. Sounds good, Pastor. It's about engagement. It's about participation in. It's about involvement in each of these seats, each of these chairs. I want to read you a, um, a text that I got uh, three weeks ago. A lady texted me. She said this. I'm so excited for 2017. My schedule is such that I'm off on Saturdays, which means I get to go to church now. Um, she hadn't been able to go all last year, 
She was here last night, actually. She said, my schedule is such that I, I, I get to get off on Saturdays. I figured out how to have my tithe go directly to the church on payday. I've started a new small group, and I'm involved with Bible study fellowship. God is good. You know what that is? That's engagement. That's saying 2017 is going to be a year of growth, not just because I believe the right things, but because I'm engaged. I'm in these chairs. I'm a part of it. So here's how I want us to end. I want us to take an EQE. It's an engagement quotient evaluation. And you're going to do the EQE on yourself, and you don't have to share this with anyone. So here's my, here's my ground rules. One, be brutally honest with yourself. No one's going to see this but you. So don't like think, well, I'm going to have to sound like I'm more spiritual than I am. You're not going to do yourself any favor. Be brutally honest. And the second thing is, this is in no way supposed to bring about guilt or pride. This is supposed to give you a chance to just kind of evaluate where you are. So we're going to go through these five chairs. And you're going you're gonna to give yourself a score, as it were, from zero to four, but not using numeric. You're just using hash marks. Okay, either none or one or two or three or four, like that. Because they represent, every chair has how many legs? See where I'm going with this. So, some of you right now are already saying, well, I can't really give myself a four, only Jesus would get a four. Okay, relax. Four simply means you're fully engaged in this chair. Yes, there's room for improvement and tweaks, but let me give you an example. Chair number one, all right, connect to the word. If you're sitting here saying, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure where my Bible is. Probably give yourself a zero on that. You say, no, wait, wait a second, that's not fair. Listen, you don't have a leg to stand on. You don't even know where your Bible is. Okay. But, but, if you say, you know what, I, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm regularly in the Word of God on my own, like daily, you know, five, six times, seven times a week, I'm studying God's Word, I'm taking notes, I'm open to what the Holy Spirit has for me, it's changing my life, then you'd be a four. Just, just think, you know, and I, where are you? One leg, two legs, three, four. Just kind of put that together. And not legalistically. Because you say, well, I read the Bible every single day, but you can't remember anything that you read and it hasn't changed your life. That's not a four. Okay? Or how about this one? Commit to the gathering. Listen, the fact that you're even here today gives you at least one leg. So that's a good thing. And it's not just the frequency. Again, statistics would show those of you who call yourself regular attenders here at Cornwall come 1.7 times a month. Frequency is part of it, but you can come here every single week and never be engaged. You may have come out of obligation for years. Or maybe you have no life and there's only one option. But you're not engaged. You come expecting a chance to worship and hear from God, to serve, to encourage, to give, to invite. How are you doing on this one? How engaged are you? Or in community. I mean, if right now you had to have people that would drop everything and help you out with something, people that you could call right now and they would pray for you, people that would, would, would help you out in a bind, people that know you, people that you have community with, how are we doing on this? Are you together with them regularly? Is it sharpening your life? Are you sharpening theirs? What about this chair? I mean, if you participate in the gift of grub or Cornwall at the mall, those kind of things, Graham Tober, some of the things we do, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a leg, maybe even two. But what about you as a, as a Christ follower? Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has called you to. 
And how about this? Maybe you're so encased in your Christian subculture, you don't even have non-Christian friends. Or maybe you have great, great non-Christian friends, friends that are far from God, but you never ever talk about things spiritually. Or maybe you do. Maybe there's people you pray for consistently. And you're sharing with and you're in this journey with them and you encourage their questions and you talk about it. You invite them. Where are you in this? See, my goal is not to, to put guilt on any of us. My goal is that we would honestly evaluate how are we doing with these? And are we engaged? And what can we do to add one more leg to our evaluation? I mean, just to take a next step, to get back into God's word. You know, to, to come with an attitude expecting, to, to connect with some people, to, to get into this world and make a difference, to start maybe having some spiritual conversation. What could we do to add one more leg? And what if, what if this year, it wasn't just agreeing with these things or even knowing them or memorizing them. What if it was engaging in these things? I tell you what would happen. Your spiritual landscape would be altered. Our church would be different. This world and the kingdom of God would be different. So inside the link is this little card. And the reason we're giving this back to you, we gave this to you in the spring. We made it smaller this time so that it could fit in your Bible or maybe on your nightstand or on your desk or somewhere where you can see it. Because we don't want this to be something, oh, that was okay, that sermon, now what's next? We believe this is, this is what's going to allow us as individuals and as a church to move forward. And so we just want this to keep this in front of you. Check in on it every now and then. You're going to hear me checking in with us throughout this year just to have this so that our spiritual landscapes will be altered as well. The word? Engagement. Stand as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Your mercies are new each day. I thank you that you've called us into your family. And Lord, as we have been redeemed by you, may we be transformed and by the power of your spirit and the power of your word that our lives would be different. And we'd be transformed into your glory with ever-increasing glory. And that this year, we would be intentional about engagement in these things. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. If you'd like prayer, our prayer team will be here in the front. If you'd like to know more about the high school, uh, Blasty Blast, see Jeff out in the comments. Have a great afternoon. Looking forward to 2017. Love you. You're out of here.